We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway. Lays it in. Zach Levine does it again. A shot on the The crossover. Levine. Get up or get out the way, Trey Young. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast around the Blue Wire Network. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here as always with Jason Pat. We have a special guest joining us today, longtime Bulls blogger Doug Tonis. Uh, and, you know, just to start off, we got some late breaking news, Jason, that uh, Wendell Carter Jr. is going to be out for a while. Yeah, literally right as we were about to start recording this podcast, we were prepping here, t- what we were going to talk about after a couple ugly Bulls losses to the Lakers and Celtics the last couple days. We find out Wendell Carter Jr. out for four, at least four weeks with a like a quad bruise, contusion, whatever you want to call it, that apparently stems from a fluky a uh, practice collision with Denzel Valentine because, of course, goofball Denzel Valentine ruining everything as always. But yeah, so Wendell out four four weeks, which after it initially seemed like it was going to be nothing bad. Like he was out. I think he's been out the last three games, and it didn't. It, we thought maybe like with this long time off with the Grizzlies postponement on Wednesday that maybe Wendell would be back Saturday against the Blazers. No, he is now out basically a month. We'll see if it if he stays on that timetable, if he beats it, or if it's longer. This will. This is Wendell's third season, uh, and all three seasons he's now dealt with lengthy injury absences. Nothing like super serious, but he's missed time each year, and that's that's really disappointing. Especially the last couple of games, I do think they've missed him against the the Lakers and Celtics with Daniel Gafford really struggling with the starters. So we'll bring Doug in here right away. What your initial thoughts here on Wendell Carter Jr. missing a month? It is it's pretty pretty brutal. It's pretty weird. The first thing I thought was. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but after Zach Levine, is there someone you'd want to be missing uh, less? I mean, like, I mean, or more, it's just like, he's, he's maybe the next most critical guy because there's really not any replacement for him. Maybe Thad Young can play more minutes at center, but there's like Gafford is, is not a really big minute center. He shines against backups who are small. And yeah, I think the bulls are really going to miss him. And I can't blame him for the injuries. Like none of the injuries seem like these kind of uh, re- repeatable injuries that are concerning going forward, but it has been a lot every year. Yeah. And I think that there was sort of a, 
Daniel pro Daniel Gafford movement uh, over the last couple of weeks at the start of the bowl season. I like Daniel Gafford. I think he's perfectly yeah. fine as sort of a bench center. But you know, in the last two games, the Bulls have really crashed back down to reality, and I think that in a lot of ways, the idea of Daniel Gafford as a starter has been exposed. Uh, now, a lot of this is because the Bulls are playing against better competition. The Bulls did have their first three-game winning streak. We should probably mention that since the last time we recorded. They beat Dallas. They beat Houston. They beat Charlotte. Uh, everyone was feeling good about the Bulls at that point. And then, of course, they go to play L.A. They get smoked in that game. They only lost by 11, but that game was a total blowout. 30 much. points at halftime. Yeah. yeah, 30 <laughs> points at halftime, like you said. That game was not competitive. And last night, they got totally washed by Boston, too. And, you know, that was a game where the bench kept coming in and keeping them afloat. I think that that's been probably the biggest theme of the season so far is the bench kind of like rising all tides in a sense and like keeping these young guys competitive. I think that in a lot of ways, this was probably the Bulls' vision when they signed Thad and Thainset, signed Thomas Sedaransky a year earlier. Uh, but, you know, Boston just still whooped him in that game and Jalen Brown was too much. Tatum looked great. Those teams are just two or three levels above the Bulls, and Carter's absence was just so noticeable in those games. And I know, Doug, you wrote about uh, Wendell Carter and Lowry Markin, kind of how those guys fit together over Bloggable last week. You know, have you seen anything this year that has sort of changed your long-term forecast on either of those guys, either positively or negatively? Because, you know, I feel like Jason and I just have the discussion about are they a tenable front court pretty much every episode on this podcast for three years uh have have we learned anything new at least in your opinion on how those guys sort of fit or don't fit moving forward I don't know that I've learned anything new, and you know, you guys have debated it a lot as well. And before I get into that, I want to say there's some good news out of these losses. You guys don't have to change the name of the show. I was very distraught with that opening last week, uh, where you said maybe you got to drop cash considerations. It's like the elite name of all Bulls podcasts. <laughs> I feel like ashamed that I didn't come up with something so great myself. So uh, at least now with a couple losses, you can hang on to it for a few more weeks. You don't have to jump on the big red bus with us uh, <laughs> over on the other show. Uh, but but no, I don't know that I've seen anything, you know, like that's really changed. I mean, the problem maybe with both these guys is that you've not seen anything change. Like they kind of are who they are, even as rookies, right? Like what has either guy developed? You know, Lowry is a little bit more efficient, but for a guy who's noted as a great three-point shooter, his percentages aren't really that great. He doesn't create off the dribble. You have to run tons of plays to get him his points. And it's good to have a guy who finishes. And it, it's funny because Stacey King calls him the finisher and it's an ironic nickname because that's really all he does is he finished plays. He, he doesn't initiate them. He doesn't pass. He doesn't handle the ball well. He attacks closeouts and he shoots threes. And that's fine. It's like really valuable to do that. The difference between him and Doug McDermott is maybe that Doug McDermott's a slightly better shooter and can't attack closeouts, but it just isn't that valuable. And then Wendell is kind of like, yeah, he does a, a lot of everything kind of well, but nothing really well. And that like that combination of those guys together doesn't seem – you know, to fit super great to me. And then beyond that, like neither one is maybe all that valuable. Like Lowry really scares me if they commit big money to him next year. Yeah. I, you know, the thing that jumped out to me about Lowry and he's played 10 games now this season, if you go back to like after his sixth game or his seventh game, he was shooting above 40% from three. I think he was at 41% at one point in the season uh, when he returned to the lineup now he's back down to 37.7%. And obviously, like, you can't just look at three-point percentage in a vacuum and determine a player's entire value from it. But it is super valuable for Lowry marketing, in my opinion. It's like the 
it's what his reputation has always been is as a seven footer who's an elite shooter. Uh, that's what the Bulls thought they were getting when they got the pick swap in the Jimmy Butler trade uh, to acquire him. But you know, throughout his career, he's been a guy who has been between thirty four and thirty six percent as a three point shooter. I thought maybe finally he might be living up to his reputation that he entered the organization with in terms of being a guy who actually was an elite three point shooter. Uh, and he's had a couple couple tough games now, back down to 37.7%. I really feel like if Markinen is – he has to be hitting shots. If he's not hitting shots, uh, you just look at his numbers across everything else in terms of rebounds, steals, assists, blocks. Nothing is up really. He's getting to the foul line more, which is important. But he's still kind of the same guy. The reason that he was playing a little better at the start of the season was just because he was hitting shots. Well – you know, since he came back on January 15th, uh, he's only hitting 32% of his shots in January from three-point range. Kind of a kind of a disappointment. The one thing I'd add to that, too, is an elite three-point shooter generally does more than shoot wide-open catch-and-shoot threes. And if you go and look at, you know, NBA.com has an amazing stat profile breakdown, breakdown of these guys. You can see, you know, when they're taking one dribble shots, multiple dribbles, like all kinds of situational stuff. Their interface is lousy, but if you don't mind working through it, they have great stats. And Lowry shoots almost exclusively catch-and-shoot threes. Almost all of his threes are wide open or open. And that's not really what an elite shooter does. Like, he's not taking step-back threes. He's not taking one dribble sidestep threes when a guy, you know, chases, uh, comes out at him. He's not taking threes off of screens that frequently. You know, when we're visually watching him, he's mostly shooting wide open threes. And so I think his percentage needs to be way up, really, to be considered an elite shooter. Like, how good of a shooter is Kyle Korver if all of his shots were wide open threes? Like 55%, 60%? You know, it's like these guys who are great shooters, they're great shooters because they take much more difficult shots than this. Like, Zach Levine is taking all kinds of crazy difficult shots compared to this and is a higher three-point percentage. So, you know, he really needs to do even a little bit more than just, I get this up, he needs to be like 42 43% to me. Uh, to, to be valuable if he's only going to be a three-point shooter based on the shot types he does take. Yeah, absolutely. And like like watching yesterday's game, he had like a nice, like I think 18 points, like five of eight shooting. It was something like that. But then uh, you looked at the rest and he was just getting bullied down low. And uh, one of the Celtics beat writers even tweeted, he was, he was like, he t- tweeted about Lowry's defense. I was like, he's like barely even functional on that end of the court right now. And yeah, you, Ricky, you mentioned like he doesn't play make for anybody. I think he's as- averaging what, like an assist per game. Uh, I think three quarters of his baskets are assisted. As you mentioned, it's all like catching open catch and shoot stuff. So well, like, it is nice that he's at least shooting better. So, like, so at least he's not totally farther down. Obviously he has been in a little slump lately. Like, you do so like what yeah what kind of impact does he have overall and like when we you talk about the the pairing with Wendell Carter Jr. I was just looking up some numbers on NBA.com <laughs> shout out to that like you said uh and like they've played let me look this up again I had it uh it's like a hundred they played 127 minutes together they have a minus 11.5 net rating uh with an O rating together of of under 98 which is absolutely atrocious and that's with the Bulls team that has been like pretty good offensively at least better offensively than. Uh, especially last year, they've and I know the stuff with the starters has been kind of weird, and we'll talk about that a bit more as well. Just the starting lineup just not being good, like almost no matter who's in it, who's who's kind of cycling in and out. But yeah, the 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 returns on like that duo together have just not been great. And with Lowry, yeah, he's just like not not really versatile at all. And he, I think, do agree that he needs to be shooting up near forty percent from three. So I guess like right now, like if he's, I say he stays around like what he's doing right now, what he's like 17, 18 points a game, 
say he gets gets even if he does get to close to 40% from 3. You talk about Doug worry about paying him money like what would you pay Lowry if like he basically just kind of had this season the rest of the year maybe he gets a little better. Like what would you would you even want to pay him at all? Would you would you look to trade him? Would you give him what 18 I I guess he'd be looking at something like 18 19 maybe even 20 million. Like what what do you think there? My my guess is someone else wants to pay him more than me. Like in the end, he's a free agent. So I I don't want to like throw out these insulting numbers because I think he's going to get more than this number, but I think my cap is around like 16 million. And I said that before the season started and I've not really seen any significant reason to change it. And I'd feel even a teeny bit uncomfortable there. You know, people will say compared to someone like Montrez Harrell, be like, well, Harrell doesn't generate any of his own offense and he's a garbage man. He does whatever. And he's like, but he scores a lot of points and they're super efficient. Like you kind of have to really look at Lowry somewhat similarly to that. He's not a garbage man in the sense of he is collecting offensive rebounds and putbacks and open dunks, but he is a garbage man in the sense that, yeah, he's just taking open shots that other people are doing a lot of work to generate for him. And if you just put Otto Porter in place of Lowry, the defense feels better. The offense feels better. Everything feels better. Now, granted, Otto Porter apparently can't play more than 25 minutes a game or back-to-backs, which is kind of weird for a guy who's like 27. (laughs) But, you know, just in theory, that would seem to be something that would, like, scare me a little bit. Like, I just don't see the big thing. Like, why would you pay him more than Bertrand's? Like, what is he really, really offering you that's better than that? And the answer to me is, like, not a whole lot. And honestly... I just don't know if I want to build around this guy. He's to me, he's like a bench role player, even though he can put up a lot of points. You know, a lot of guys can do that on the bench. Like he's not a guy who's versatile enough to defend multiple positions. Doesn't pass. Like you guys said, it doesn't handle the ball particularly well. It just kind of finishes plays. And, and people don't think of guys like that as, as garbage men in that sense, but that's sort of what they are. They're really only kind of filling in this one very specific niche. And it's, it's hard to generate more of that niche. I think Lowry is a premium sign and trade guy. Like we see that with restricted free agents from time to time. It happened most recently, I think with Malcolm Brogdon, uh, that was a sign and trade from the bucks to the Pacers. So I would love to deal Lowry in a sign and trade. I think, you know, if you could bring back a point guard, I don't know what sort of options are going to be out there for the bulls, but you would hope that Lowry's three point percentage can get up a little bit. Someone could talk themselves into it because I think that, you know, since the moment Karnaschovas came here, Making trades was probably where he was going to be the biggest improvement over the last front office, which almost never made a trade unless it was a cost-cutting move. I think Lowry probably has a little bit of value league-wide, like you said. When you threw out the number $16 million, I was like cringing when you said that, but I think it's totally fair for that to be his market value league-wide. Uh, I just don't know if he's worth that type of investment from the Bulls, certainly. So I think he's a premium sign and trade asset. I think it's been pretty obvious that the Bulls need another point guard on this roster. I would love to see that being a move, you know, come the offseason. I think he gets at least $20 million in the offseason. Like, I, I yeah. wouldn't pay him that, but, yeah. like, there's no one. Like, all the guys who are supposed to be big names ended up signing extensions or whatever. There's, a lot of teams have money. I just – you look at these offseasons, and people always pay him, overpay him for agency. The only way you don't overpay him for agency – is when you get a max free agent who is just above his value because his value is capped in free agency. Otherwise, you almost always pay way more, and the, the deals are cringeworthy, and Lowry's going to be <laughs> one of those deals, I, I almost feel. So uh, be it sign and trade, like you said, Ricky, I think that'd be great. Uh, at the deadline, I would definitely be seeing what feelers are out there there too. You know, But I, I, I definitely don't feel he's a Karnaschovas guy either. I mean, they talked about versatility and passing and all, you know, all these other things in his intro uh, conference and he, he he just isn't that guy he, he's very very limited 
So we, we've talked about this kind of possible trade before with Lonzo Ball. And Lonzo Ball has been terrible with the, Pel- the Pelicans this year in general have been awful. And there are rumors out today about the Pelicans uh, either taking call. They're taking calls on Lonzo and J.J. Redick. And like I said, we've talked about this before on this pod. Like, do we like would you do a Lowry for Lonzo swap? I know Lonzo's been bad, but like I know I don't. And Lonzo has had his issues like in the half court. So like his pat his play, his theoretical playmaking is probably not as good because he's more of like an open court transition guy, which might be which might work better with the Bulls because they are playing a very fast style open court next to Zach Levine. Maybe he would look better with that. But again, he's struggled. His shooting has come down. He can't shoot free throws. He can't really do much in the half quarter, like dri- driving to the basket. But he, he is a great passer, uh, and he had, he was really good last year. Like. I feel like better than people expected. He just had, he's had a down year and now he's on the block. I don't know if it's just that situation or what. So would you trade Lowry for Lonzo? Like, I don't even know if that, I mean, that might have to be, just be like a straight up deal. Then maybe there'd be some picks or some other little things in there, but would you do that? It's kind of weird because if I had Lonzo, like the guy I'd want next to him is Lowry, uh, you know, just because if you have Lonzo, I think almost everyone else on your team needs to shoot. I, I, I don't think you can yeah. have, you know, limited shooting. And so then Lowry kind of gives you that, like if you, especially if you've played him at the five, which maybe is a disaster defensively, though he's kind of a disaster defensively, no matter where you play him. <laughs> but, you know, if you can put shooters around Lonzo, like that theoretically is how that might work. Uh, and and if you move Lowry, now all of a sudden you've kind of moved away from that model and, and you probably are going to get another power forward that isn't going to be quite as good a shooter maybe. And then if you do that, then now you kind of need shooting out of your point guard and all of a sudden Lonzo doesn't fit. So that, that would be my kind of concern swapping those two yeah. straight up. Like I, I, it's almost like I'd like to pair them, but you know, I, I feel like the Pelicans are probably in the same boat as we are with Lowry. Like they don't maybe want him long-term, but they don't want to trade him for like a second rounder and then, or a vet, like someone and and so they want some kind of like more value than probably he's really worth and i think that's just going to be a difficult trade to pull off it's like if you said yeah i'll give you two second rounders especially the pelicans i got all those extra picks from the, the moves they made right. you yeah. know like i think it's going to be tough to to find a deal that would work like i'd yeah I'd, I'd take lonzo on the cheap i just think they'll probably ask a little bit too much for him yeah like i think if you factor out the contracts like whatever you would have to resign lonzo for I could probably talk myself into that deal if you could get Lonzo relatively cheap. The thing that's just tanked Lonzo this year is he can't make a jump shot to save his life. Last year, he had this big improvement. He hit 37.5% of his threes, took six a game. This year, he's still bombing him. He's taking eight, nine, three-pointers most of these games, but he just can't hit one to save his life. He's making under 30% of his threes. So I think Lonzo was, you know, he's a guy who is more of someone who sort of like greases the wheels of an offense rather than is the engine of an offense. So like the Bulls probably, the the Bulls are not going to be a contender again, even an Eastern conference contender until they get like the main guy who you could just give him the ball, let him cook. Uh, And Lonzo is not that type of point guard. He's not someone who's going to be able to put pressure on the rim by driving to the basket, finishing. Uh, I think he is someone who's like a sharp ball mover and he does have some strengths definitely needs to be able to shoot. I mean, there's only so many spots on the floor for non-shooters anymore. Doug wrote about that in his look at Wendell and Lowry. Really, you need probably four guys who are capable shooters out there at this point in in league history. So uh, I I always liked Lonzo as a player. I think it is very possible that Lonzo is just not very good, especially if his (laughs) jump shot is going to be so inconsistent. But, you know, I sort of look at that deal as like a failure for a failure in a sense. And as long as you're not paying Lonzo, like I wouldn't want to pay Lonzo 16 million either. Yeah, Uh, that's 
probably too much. So, so it's just tough. I mean, yeah. I, I do think that if you could get, you know, th- that type of swap or a similar swap, if not Lonzo specifically, just like sort of a young-ish guard with some untapped upside who maybe didn't hit his potential on his original team, I think that would be a move in, in the Bulls' best interest. Yeah, I, yeah. It, yeah. Lonzo seems like he would be probably priced around where Ricky Rubio was. Like if you wanted yeah. to throw out a comparison, uh, you know, maybe coming off a down year, but he's, he's younger and maybe will last longer. So, I mean, I think that's kind of where I would expect his salary to, to go towards and, you know, maybe a little bit more than you want. And I, I agree completely with you, Ricky. Like you need to get someone who's going to really be the engine of this offense. And sometimes it looks like Zach Levine could be a little bit like that, but I, I really like him off the ball a lot more. He, he's played much better when he doesn't have quite that much pressure and his efficiency is way up. And it's really hard to find guys like that, right? Like if you, I mean, anyone who can find guys like that wants as many as they can get. And that's, that's really going to be the, the challenge for Karnaschovas is figuring out the best way to make that happen. You guys talk a lot about whether you want to improve the asset base or not and whether, or you want to roll with this group of guys or whatever else. And, you know, there's really no magic way to do this that you think is going to work. You know, you can make a competitive team and go with the, the Lakers Nets Clippers model of we are around 500 and then we attracted talent or you can try to build in the draft and be bad. But you know, we've, we've been doing that for a while and haven't gotten <laughs> the right picks. And it's also just the most depressing thing ever. You know, there's really there's really no easy way to make it happen. Yeah, so we talk about the engine of the offense type deal, and you brought up Zach Levine. Let's talk about Zach Levine. A couple of weeks ago, you wrote the can the Zach Levine experience work in the playoffs, and Zach has obviously had a fantastic year. He's gotten better. He's taken another step forward. Uh, he's putting up 27 points per game efficiently. He's made some development in terms of his passing. We do still see the turnover problems, which is why he is probably still not that engine. We saw the Celtics game. He had some awful turnovers last night. And he had five in the first half. And then the first possession of the second half, he like tries to, lo- they tried to run a, like a set play for, I think, Lowry or it was either Lowry or Gafford Lob. And Zach like lobs it into three guys. I'm like, what are you doing, man? So he had just some brutal turnovers. And, and, that, and that's been an issue all year for him and the Bulls, which is kind of just against a good defense. Like he's going to have those kind of type of problems with those decision making with his sometimes the handles loose, sometimes the passes aren't great. So, I mean, just the, the Zach experience in general. He again, he is a great scorer, super efficient, career high efficiency. He's finishing better on the basket. He's he's hitting a ton of difficult shots. But can this work on like a really good team? Like we've talked forever about how we think he's miscast as number one, and he probably is. But like with the team, kind of the Bulls with where they're at, and with trade deadline coming up now that Harden's off the board, we talked about like should the Bulls trade Zach? Should the Bulls pay Zach possibly? And Eric Pincus at Bleacher Report wrote something uh, th- earlier this week about the Bulls' options with Zach Levine, and he talked about how like he, they could give him an extension this year, but it wouldn't be that much. But they could also possibly renegotiate his contract and like give him more of a max deal using Bulls cap space. So the, there's, the Bulls do have some options, whether they want to trade him, whether they maybe want to give him a new deal this offseason and invest in him. So, Doug, just I guess like do you do you buy into Zach Levine more? Do you think that he's a guy that the Bulls should invest in long term? Do you like have you liked what you've seen from this season? Like he's su- super fun, but there obviously are those still flaws there. And when we talk about that asset base, like he's the guy who would would theoretically bring back the most in a trade. I just don't know what kind of trade might be out there with depending. I, I'm just not sure right now, at least. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting question. It's the big one for Karnaschovas. What's he want to do? And before the season started, I would have been absolutely on the trade Zach Levine bandwagon. And with what I've seen this season, I think I have moved into the pay Zach bandwagon 
because one, I, I think he's a popular guy around the league. I think he's a likable guy. You know, I was speaking with Casey Johnson on my show and he was saying, uh, Zach is one of the hardest working guys. And we were, we were kind of just chatting about that and he, he really puts in the effort. And so I, I trust him to continue to get incrementally better. And the, as soon as you get someone better than him, I think he'll be just amazing. But the, the and of course you might never do that. You might never do that. I, it's it just, the other thing is I would consider trading him. And I wrote, I wrote a big piece uh, for bloggable. We didn't end up publishing it because it kind of overlapped. I had like maybe 10 trade destinations and maybe we'll dust it off when we get to the trade deadline. It, it's like, who's, who's left. That's going to give you that like hardened, like trade for Zach Levine. You know, like all the real contenders are kind of, kind of already, used up all their draft picks. And so who is going to be like, yeah, I'm going to go all in and give up four first round picks for Zach Levine. And because there's not really a lot of destinations out there where I think you're going to get the value back. And so then it just becomes, you know, yeah, maybe you need two guys as good as Zach with Zach to win. But if you trade Zach, you're going to need three guys as good as Zach. And there's like no obvious way to do that. Right. You're not going to be the lotto odds are so weird. Now you could, you could be bad for like a decade. I hate the new lotto system. You could be bad for a decade and never get a you know, really high pick. So it's just it's going to be a super difficult thing no matter how you slice it. But I'm definitely leaning towards keep Zach now. I had not actually, before that article came out, considered the idea that they can now pay Zach more because they're under the cap. I think that's probably an option I would pursue and, and lock him in. Because even if you want to pay him the 5190 he could say no. He could say no. This team sucks <laughs> and he could leave. Right to some yeah. other team for that money. Like you, you don't even know that's going to happen because he's not restricted. So, you know, it's like you, you, at least if you got that risk off and you paid him right away, you know, I would, I would probably be down with that because I just don't see how you're going to get a better player. And at least maybe we're locked into like 40 something wins. But, you know, if you looked at that Nets team that got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and now James Harden, you know, like when they were at 40 wins, you weren't sitting there going, man, this is the next big team. You know, so sometimes you just got to have a, a great asset locked in and then you hope he can bring someone else somehow or some dude just goes, you know what? I love Chicago winners. I think we should you know, make move it over here. You know, I, I, I don't know, but you, you got to figure something out. I think you're worse off. This is like the, the Jimmy Butler situation again. And you, yep. and you traded Butler and like what happened? You know, now you've got another guy who's trending into an all star and it's going to be it's going to be really tough if you let him go to, to even get back to where you are now. Yeah, I was just thinking about the parallels with Butler, too, because the Bulls traded Butler, in my opinion, their number one motivation was that they didn't think he would be worth a max contract on his third deal. And I think that right now, a max deal for a player on their third contract pays them $35 million annually, uh, if I have that correct. So currently, Zach is making $20 million annually. So if you – I think, you know, we could all agree, like – we debated that contract, whether or not he was worth it. I honestly don't even remember what my opinion was at the time. I think I was super torn on it. I might have even been against it. But I think it's pretty clear that Zach has outperformed that contract, even though the team hasn't had any success. And with Zach as its lead piece, the offense is annually ranking among the very worst in the NBA. But Zach is a good player, super skilled. Fully agree with Doug uh, that he is best used off the ball, not as a lead engine type. Uh, I'm curious, what is a fair number, do you guys think, for Zach contract extension? Like, it's more than 20. We're going to hopefully say it's less than 35. Like, 30 million, is that fair for Zach? Can you get him for a little less than 30 million? Uh, is it going to take the full 35 boat to get him to stay? Uh, I'm curious what you guys think about that, because just a, cu- a couple things that pop in my head. 
first of all, I had this conversation with a couple of friends who aren't, uh, you know, as enlightened as us. And they were saying, you know, well, like Zach is producing as much as Jimmy ever did. Well, Jimmy was a much, much, much better player than Zach was. I think like if you look at like the all in one metrics, like that's just proven out where Zach still is ranking as like maybe the 80th best player, 90th best player in Raptor, which is a stat that's always hasn't liked him. But Jimmy was consistently like near the top of the league. Uh, defensively, it's just obvious. Jimmy was one of the best at his position. Zach is clearly below average. So uh, the Bulls made the choice to trade Jimmy because they didn't think he was worth the contract when I thought it was really clear that Jimmy was worth the contract. I don't know if Zach's going to be worth $35 million, but I also agree that sometimes you just got to lock in the assets. So I'm curious what you guys think. What would be a fair number for a Zach extension? Doug, you can go first. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't matter what's fair. You're going to pay him $35 million. <laughs> Like we could debate about what's fair. It's going to take 35 million. Like it, it, it just is. I, I don't think there's any chance you're going to get him for less. And Zach can hold out. I mean, he's, he's already made a gazillion dollars. He had a massive shoe deal and he got his $80 million contract. So it's not like he's already generationally wealthy. He can hold out if he wants, but I think for sure he'll get them out. So to me, it's whether he's worth it or not. Like if you want to keep him, you probably should be prepped to, to pay that amount of money. Like, I don't think you should expect to get any kind of discount on that. The other thing I'd say when he got this deal initially, and you know, I also debated whether it was worth it or not. And was like up in the air. You got to remember he was still coming off the ACL that summer. His numbers that year were atrocious. And we were coming off like Derek Rose who had an ACL and then just never recovered. And yeah, that scared me to death. Like I, I just, you know, it was like PTSD or something, you know, it's just like, I just, I just could not, uh, could not fathom signing a guy off an ACL after he looked that bad. And so, you know, Zach then came back a year later and was like amazing. So, you know, it worked out okay, but his value, like, like a month after he signed that deal went up exponentially when all of a sudden he was scoring pretty efficiently in like huge volume numbers, which he was not doing you know, prior uh, after that ACL. So I think, I think his current deal is like a really bad benchmark to use for anything. And I think you're going to have to suck it up and pay 35 if you want to keep him. Whether he's worth that or not, it just comes down to do you want to keep the asset. Like a, a good comparison to me is like, is Bradley Beal worth what the Wizards paid him? He'd be the number one guy in like a lousy team. Like, I don't know that Bradley Beal is like world's better than Zach Levine or, you know, so I think that's a, a, a comparison that is in like runs in my head. On that note, I, I don't know if you guys saw that. I think it was like Windhorse Pod. Like they were talking about like possibly the Bulls like trading for Bradley Beal. And I think the offer they threw out there was like Zach Lowry and like two or three first round picks, which is like, are you kidding me? Like, like you mentioned, like is Beal is Beal better than Zach? Yes, probably. But like, like that much for Bradley Beal, like that kind of upgrade, probably probably not at this point. Uh, looking, I'm looking reading this Bleach Report article now. So yeah, they can apparently the, the extension that they can give him this off season without using the cap space is only like 23.4 million that they could start at 120% of the sal- of his salary. Uh, that's obviously not going to get it done. So then if they want to use, give him a max, whatever that they, looks like they need 14 million in cap space. And that would be 152 million over four years. So that'd be what, like 37, 38. I, I'm not totally sure if they can do less than that. If that, if it has to be a max renegotiation, I'm, I don't think it actually mentions here. Like I feel like ideally you'd maybe go a little less, but I, I, if he's going to lock that in on a Bulls team that hasn't had, had success, you're probably like Doug, like you said, you're probably going to have to give him that big money. Uh, would I do that? Uh, I guess I would think about it for sure. Like it, it really does kind of come back to the Jimmy thing. Like we were Jim, Zach is not Jimmy, but we were su- we did not like the idea of trading Jimmy when they did. 
again, like if you can, I guess if you could find a big trade for Zach, like go ahead, pull the trigger. But like, if not, I guess you might as might as well just keep him. Uh, like with Zach, it's, do we think like Zach at 35 million would be, if he keeps getting better, like, I mean, I feel like you'd be able to try guys get traded all the time. Now I know we've, we've seen bigger contracts on older players get dealt. Uh, like, I don't know if it would really be like an albatross hanging over their head if they did sign him. And I guess even if it was like, I guess Zach is entertaining and he's, and he's likable. So like, even if the bulls just are in hell, like, I guess you could do worse than watching Zach Levine play basketball. I don't know. It is kind of a weird situation with them, but uh, I I feel like us on this pod have come around on Zach a lot. We we recognize his flaws, but like he is still, he's one of the top like five to 10 scorers in the NBA now. And you're going to have to pay for scoring in the NBA. And if you want to keep him around him, he's still only 25. Like, I guess it couldn't hurt to just, just, just back up the Brinks truck for him. And I'd add one thing to that is, is one we're talking about at the end of the season. So at that point, Zach will have to have proven this over a year. Yeah. You know, like right now you could say like, well, he's efficient now, but it, this is, he's off to career highs in efficiency. Fair. Yeah. Like, is that going to stay the whole season? And if it doesn't, then I, I would change my answer. So, you know, there's an assumption as we're making these decisions that the, the state he's at now continues. And that's definitely not a given. And then, like you said, it just comes down to the opportunity cost. If someone is offering me like lots and lots of stuff for Zach, yeah, I'd consider it. But maybe another comparison is CJ McCollum. You know, I think he's making the the thirty five million dollar max deal, the thirty percent max deal. Like, do you think the do you think the Blazers could trade CJ McCollum right now if they had to? And I, and I think McCollum has a lot of the same flaws. He's not a great playmaker, and he's not someone who's a good defender. And you know, they built a pretty good team there. Now we don't have a Damian Lillard, but you know, they have a, a fun, entertaining team. Like, I think you could easily trade CJ McCollum if you wanted to. And, and he's been great this year before the injury. He yeah. like career, I think career best as well for him. And and I think not trading him is fine too. You know, you're happy yeah. to have him. So I, I, I would, I would hesitate. I would generally probably keep Zach unless the offer is really good. I guess I, I'd leave it that way. And I wouldn't be scared to pay him because worst case you're overpaying him by like 5 million and, I feel better at that than overpaying Felicio by five million. You know? <laughs> hey, we got some Felicio minutes against the Lakers. That was incredible, and he had seven points. Unreal. There's there's oh. one point where he was the second leading scorer on the Bulls in that game. <laughs> I was looking it up, and I'm like, man, this game's going bad. It's going sideways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's move on from Zach. Let's talk about Kobe real quick here. Just the Kobe experience has been very up and down. Uh, I, I know some fans are probably getting frustrated with him. Uh, he had a, it was brutal the last couple games, just really ugly stuff. So I guess, Doug, where are you on the Kobe White as starting point guard experience? Do you think it will end up working long term? Do you think Billy should pull the plug sooner? Do you think he should just kind of keep rolling with it? It sounds like he wants to keep rolling with it because, I mean, are you really going mean, to go back to Sato? I know Sato's been solid off the bench, but like I, I just don't know what the upside is there. So Kobe White starting point guard, what do you think? Sato was kind of a wreck last game against Boston. Yeah. So I mean, Didn't make it. you know, like it's like asking like right after that game doesn't yeah. does doesn't make me go like, yep, you know what we need is more Sadoransky. Uh, you know, uh, I don't I don't feel that way at this exact second in time. But yeah, he he's had a pretty solid season, I think overall. Uh, but we saw Sato as the the starting point guard with mostly these same guys in the starting lineup before, and it didn't really work either. So I think the one thing that's saving the Kobe White experience is that there's just really no one else that you'd want to put in there, and maybe Garrett Temple, who's been fantastic, uh, but is is not really a pure point guard either, and and maybe someone who wouldn't 
do so well as point guard against the starters. You know, I think that's what we saw with Gafford and a lot of these guys is like, it's a lot easier to come in off the bench than it is to play against the team's best players with all your minutes. And that's why some of these guys shine a little bit. And then you always get this backup quarterback syndrome with all these guys. So I I think you keep Kobe white in there just because there's not like a a great option to to do something else for, for a while. Uh, The thing that scares me about Kobe and, you know, to relate him to Lowry where I said, you know, like Lowry is kind of like a, a one skill sort of player. And if that skill is good enough, that's fine, but it, it has to be better is Kobe white kind of is starting to feel like that to me too. Like if Kobe white is not hitting threes, like what is Kobe white doing for you? Now, Kobe white creates a lot of threes off the dribble. He can do step back threes. He can, you know, theoretically when he's on, he hits crazy threes and he can just pile in points and he can create them himself. So there's like a little bit more there, but like when he's not shooting the three point shot, well, like Kobe is just not a useful player more times than not. And so he's not a good three point shooter so far for his career. He wasn't like exceptional in college. And I just have to wonder, is this guy going to be someone who really develops that shot well enough to ever be the type of player who's going to be a starting caliber player? Or is he going to have to be a guy who just plays against backups where he can cook a little bit better because he's not going to have as much defensive pressure against him. And he's not going to have to defend someone as good on the other end of the court. So frustrating to watch, man. That's my main takeaway from watching Kobe this year because yeah. he is talented. He's only 20 years old, which is the caveat we need to have with all of these discussions yeah. about him. Uh, you know, when they took him, the thing I liked about Kobe is I thought he had multiple avenues towards being a useful player. Like you could put him in like a super sub role as your sixth man, have him be a microwave scorer. There was a chance you could develop him as a point guard. And I still think that he is going to be a useful player in the league long term. I actually think he might have higher trade value than like anyone else on the team, really, besides for Zach. If I go down the list, he probably has higher trade value than Wendell and Lowry to me right now, just because he's so young, because he was the number seven pick, because he can shoot off the dribble. I think I have a little bit more faith in his shooting ability uh, just long term. I think that he is a really good shooter because you can see the types of threes he hits are just like super difficult shots, but the game hasn't slowed down for him. Right. And that is the thing that makes him so frustrating to watch at times because you could see that he's still like just unable to process everything he's seeing on the floor. Uh, If the bulls did not have a good veteran bench with temple, with Sato, with Thad young, uh, I mean, it would just be a disaster. They would be one of the very worst teams in the league with Kobe as point guard, I think. And having a veteran bench is really what sort of allowed them to start Kobe and not just be like a Timberwolves-level train wreck because, (laughs) uh, you know, Jason and I did a podcast after the first game of the season. They got absolutely smoked by Atlanta. They were down by 40 in that game. I lost my mind. I was pretty much totally (laughs) off my rocker. Uh, And a lot of the things I thought in the preseason, which is that, goddamn, this team's going to be fucking terrible was based off the fact that Kobe White was going to be the starting point guard. And I just didn't think he was going to be able to handle that level of playmaking burden and facilitation. Uh, With that being said, I think that, you know, Donovan has done a really good job sort of insulating him at times. And I think he's done a good job challenging him as Cody Westerland was saying on an earlier episode of this podcast a couple weeks ago. I still believe in Kobe a little bit long-term, but you know, 
there's some there's some major questions like does he fit it all with Zach like now we're talking about re-signing Zach okay well like are they tenable together long term uh what are you you know he's just not going to be someone who's going to be successful anytime soon in terms of leading your team to wins as the starting point guard so I think he would be a prime trade candidate I do think that you know potentially he could come back to bite you a little bit because he does have that deep shooting range off the dribble he's very fast eventually I think the game probably will slow down for him uh, but you know, right now he just, he has one gear and his gear is soup, run as fast as you can and shoot the second you get open, even if you're not open. Uh, and it's, it's the, it's the biggest problem with the bulls right now, right? It's just like the lack of consistent poised point guard play. And it's not all Kobe's fault. I mean, watching him against, uh, you know, the Lakers a couple nights ago, it's like this dude could literally still be in high school. Like there's high schoolers who are his age who are like guys and you know, now he's going out there and you're getting mad at him because they're getting smoked by LeBron and Anthony Davis. It's like, (laughs) it's a tough bar to live up to, but that's what it is. Yeah. And he wasn't much better last night against the Celtics. And just bringing up more uh, quick lineup data here. I talked about the Lowry Wendell one. So Zach and Levine, Zach and Kobe have played at the most out of any two man lineup for the bulls this season. Obviously it's still early. There's a lot of noise here, but 433 minutes together, minus 11.4 net rating. Their offensive rating is okay, 108.4. Defensive rating of 119.8. That's like historically bad stuff. That's like where the Kings have been at to start the year. Just, I mean, they're terrible. I mean, we talk about their offense, whatever. I think they're fun offensively. They can really get cooking. They are. That's a terrible defensive backcourt. Even with the improvements, I think Zach has made some improvements defensively. That Those two at the point of attack defensively is absolutely atrocious. And that's how you have a 120 D rating in 433 minutes with those two guys. So, yeah, it is... The starters just, I guess we'll use this transition to our final kind of uh, topic here. Just the starters and the bench stuff, which we've kind of mentioned a few times. The starters just, like any, basically any starting lineup the Bulls have thrown out there this year has been mostly pretty rough. Just the young core together has not been any good. And then a lot of times, like they'll get off the bad starts and the bench will come in, whether with it's Thad and Otto, Temple. You look at all their like net ratings, like they're all mostly uh, Thad and at least Thad and Temple are both positives Denzel as well he's been at least decent off the bench even if he is kind of tear your hair out crazy uh but yeah just those vets have kind of saved the bulls ass a lot of times that's why the bulls are seven and ten why they're not completely terrible uh the bulls clearly missed those guys at the very start of the season those first couple blowouts uh but we saw it in the against the celtics where the bulls starters were terrible both had start both has and then Thad Young comes in and basically helps flip the game and kind of keep it close. Thad almost had a triple double. The way they've been using Thad as like a passer out of the high post, he's been incredible. He's shooting almost sixty percent. Temple has been really solid on both ends. His shooting has come back down to earth a little bit, but still just a solid player. I mean, like I said, Denzel's been decent for what you expected. Otto shooting really well from three. So you have like, and then you look at the starters now that Wendell's out. You got Kobe's been struggling a bit. Patrick Williams has definitely started to struggle a bit as well. Gafford and uh, Pat were both pulled early in the third quarter yesterday and then didn't play the rest of the game. So now, like, do you think about changing up the starting lineup? Like, do you put, especially with Wendell now, do you start like maybe Lowry and Thad instead and keep Gafford with the bench guys? Do you maybe put Patrick Williams on the bench? Do you and maybe put Temple in there? Like, or do you think Billy should just kind of roll with what he's doing and just still keep trying to find this balance with the vets and the and the starters was it is kind of a weird spot like the we're looking long term at, at this bulls corp and it's like together it's just not great but the bulls as a team look okay because the vets are keeping them like kind of in games so that between between with the starting lineup being so bad and then the vets being so good like 
first of all, should they make a starting lineup change? Then later in the season, do we think the Bulls should trade the vets and maybe play more for draft position? I'm not totally sure there. So, Doug, we'll start with the starting lineup question. Do you think the Bulls should change their starting lineup? I would with the with the Wendell news, which we now need to to factor into all of this. You know, the starting lineup is going to change significantly for the next month, right? You have to decide who's going to yeah. be at center. And Gafford wasn't the starter uh, previously that was getting beat up, but we've seen him in the starting lineup. He has not fared well thus far to date, and I don't think that he will feel, uh, fare well in the future either. So, I would probably start Thad Young for sure, and. I wouldn't even question that. Now, unless Thad has some injury issue or something else going on that's stopping him, he's playing 35 minutes a night for me uh, going forward. You know, I just think he's he's the guy who's holding the team together the most, especially with Wendell out. Now, when Wendell comes back, you can start changing that. But I, I think that is the, the biggest move you got to make. And then you could consider taking Pat Williams out of the starting lineup. I always thought Pat was a little overrated by the fan base. It's all young rookies are. Every time they do something good, everyone's yeah. really excited. And then... We kind of ignore their flaws and just say, well, but they're so young. And yeah, that's fine. It's true. In this league, veterans win. Like it's not like some new secret thing. You know, most of your young guys aren't going to be young LeBron or something. I mean, you know, young guys who become really good players are usually pretty bad in their first few years. And the Bulls probably have a lot of guys like that that will eventually become, you know, the Thad Youngs or Otto Porters of, you know, seven years from now. But like right now, those guys are, you know, they're, they're just pedestrian players. And so I do think you'll do better if you put more vets in the lineup. But uh, Thad, for sure, after that, you know, it's kind of up and down for me. I could I could get behind starting Otto Porter over Pat Williams. You know, I think Pat Williams just needs to get some minutes. And you might even be doing him a favor by not trying to force him to guard LeBron and Giannis and Kawhi. I mean, like, and you know, people are talking about how great he looked. I didn't think he looked great against any of those guys, really. Like, he had a couple of possessions where he defended LeBron well, but, like, he, he got smoked, like, by those guys. Like, all of them put up, like, huge nights against him. And people at the end were like, well, but he played him tough. And I'm like, okay, you know, like, <laughs> I get that. I get that. Like, sometimes you can play LeBron tough. And with LeBron, I kind of thought that was a little bit the exception. Like, LeBron had a kind of poor shooting night. But, like, you know, I, I think for Pat's sake, like, let him play against some of these, like, lesser guys. Let him try and dribble into the lane and – and expand his skills against some guys who aren't like amazing, you know, don't, don't put him against like the best players in the league right away. Like that's, I don't know that that's helping him either. So uh, I I'd say if you start auto and Thad, you'd, you'd probably have a much more stable start to games. And then and it's really just about how you move guys in and out. You know, like people talk about sometimes being their bench unit and like, there's gonna be these five guys on the bench. Like, no, you really probably always want to keep you know, two of your better starters in. You want to keep that veteran young guy balance throughout the entire game. You're not going to get smoked at any point in time. And, you know, I like the way that Donovan has experimented with a lot of stuff. He seems, you know, like very open and flexible to trying different things. And he he definitely wants to to press some of these young guys to push them and and see what they can do. And in the long run, I think that's going to be much to the Bulls' advantage. And, yeah, it just – Kind of gets uh, kind of gets down to what are you really trying to accomplish this year, and that that's a question that I think probably even we're not sure of. Is it make the playoffs? Is it develop talent? Is it get uh, as, improve the asset base? So uh, I guess that was a long winded thing, and I'll, I'll let Ricky talk because I've been tired of hearing my own <laughs> voice. And uh, we'll get to your next question later. Jason, why don't you take it? I mean, I was just going to say the way you were kind of a- answering the end of that question. I think we could just go right into that second question and. Uh, like with what with what the Bulls' goals should be for this year? Like, should they play? Like, should they push for a play-in spot? Which is probably where they'll be. They're seven and ten right now. I think they're either nine or ten. Right, they're right around that like fi- final play-in spot. Like, so like with these vets playing so well, which they should be 
probably raising their trade value at least a little bit. I mean, Thad Young's looked fantastic, as I said. Uh, a guy like Otto as well, who's on an expiring deal. I mean, Temp- and Temple is a uh, on a one-year deal. I-, I feel like you don't want to trade maybe all the vets. Maybe it could be good to keep one around, but I feel like you got to at least explore the market. Like, I don't think you should be like going all in for like a a push for the play-in tournament and like not trade any of these guys. Like, I mean, I guess maybe if you're looking to make a trade to actually add a lot of talent and maybe do that, maybe it's that makes it different. But so I guess like, what would your be your goal here? Like, do you think they should really push hard for this plan or do you think they they should be looking to sell off these vets, get that trade value up and look to sell them off? Because I mean, a team like a team like the Celtics, they have that huge trade trade exception from Gordon Hayward. I mean, they could use, they could use Thad, they could use Otto, they could use Sato, they could use any of these guys. And there's other contenders as well. I mean, the Nets, badly need front court help uh we've kind of talked about like maybe the thad for like spencer dinwiddie and like draft picks or something like that if they want if they want the immediate help uh so i guess like doug what would be your outlook on maybe moving these vets at the deadline versus maybe keeping them around for for a playoff push i'd I'd trade everyone (laughs) fair enough i'm I'm an asset i'm an asset based guy look all right it would be exciting like in the end I, i completely understand why you want to make the playoffs it might allow you to attract free agents it might make the team better in the future but there's no free agents this year. And so with that said, knowing that there's no one to attract, I, I would probably be an asset-based guy and I would try to expand my asset base. So to me, no one would be off limits. I think there's going to be a limit to how many guys you could trade anyway. Like I don't think you're going to be able yeah. to move more than one of these guys for a first-round pick. There's not going to be four different teams that want your specific guys to improve their playoff spot. You know, you'd be lucky to get, to get a first. I mean, any of them might generate a first, but you'd be lucky to get one. And if you got two, that'd be even better so i, I I'm, a, I'm an asset based guy it, it'd be fun to see playoffs but you know like certainly like in the reverse like you wouldn't give up your pick to like make a push and get a vet right like so you know no. at that point you're already kind of implicitly saying like my value my future more than my present uh and so in that case you know you might as well push more chips into that that uh, viewpoint in my opinion and i want to go back to something you guys talked a little bit about on your last show if you don't mind it, it ties in and you're yep. talking about guard packs and uh, thank goodness we got rid of them. And then Karnaschovas came in, and he didn't really do anything different, though. Like, he really hasn't done anything yet. He used his draft pick, and he signed Garrett Temple, which like is somewhat of a Gar Pax type move anyway. And so if he doesn't do anything at the deadline, like really his one thing he will have nailed and done super well is to just fire Boylan and bring in Donovan. <laughs> and I think there's a pretty good chance that like the Bulls were not going to let Paxson fire Boylan because they didn't want to pay like that whole thing. It just goes back to the name of the show. They didn't want to pay like Boylan while they're paying Hoiberg, while they're paying Thibodeau, while they're doing whatever, like we can get him really cheap. Like, yeah, he's probably fine. Like there's that whole like weird thing about paying coaches. And I, I think like maybe they wouldn't have, weren't allowed to fire him because they still had some money uh, on the books with Hoiberg until that like cycled off. But that's, that's like the one thing I look at and say convincingly that Karnaschovas did that was great. And that's kind of it after that, like, the things that are working are mostly the things we tried to do last year and just didn't work because the coach sucked and we had lots of injuries. And so I, I don't know, like if, if Karnaschova sits out this trade deadline and doesn't make something kind of happen, I'm, I'm going to start feeling like, did we really do anything with this G, this uh, front office shakeup? Like, did we really get things any better? Even when you look at the Lowry extension talks, it seems like we did the same Garpax model of, well, he made an offer and he's either going to take it or leave it. And, you know, it was like that same kind of, we gave, made, made him a fair offer and they said no. So like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little curious to see how that'll, that'll play out, but I'm, I'm hoping that they're able to find some magic at, at the deadline. 
Yeah, I'm definitely willing to give Karnaschovas a chance, but I think everything you said there is totally fair. The new car smell of Karnaschovas is going to start coming off immediately, right? It's going to start happening the second that one of these rookies looks better than Patrick Williams. You already have some people saying, oh, they should have taken Tyrese Halliburton. They should have taken someone else. Uh, That's just like part of the game and part of the job. And I liked the Patrick Williams pick. I probably wouldn't have made that pick myself. I've definitely enjoyed it. I have uh, no regrets over how that's gone so far. I think Patrick Williams is going to be really good. But, I mean, that's just kind of how the job goes. Like, he's going to be judged heavily on that pick. I think the Donovan thing has for sure worked out well. And yeah, I mean, he's got to make some trades. Like he was brought in to make tough decisions. He had to do something. (laughs) Because he was brought in to make tough decisions because Garpax couldn't do it. Garpax, uh, for whatever reason, just never, ever made trades to improve the team. They were much more, I feel like, you know, Paxson just had the Ben Gordon, Kirk Heinrich, Luol Deng era stuck in his head where that team was really bad. He drafted all those guys. Uh, none of them with the first pick. And they became like sort of a spunky team that the city could be proud of, a blue-collar team under Skiles. They luck into rows. It changes the trajectory of the franchise. I really think that what the Bulls were doing was basically trying to recreate the Heinrich Gordon Dang era when they moved Butler. And, you know, not to like harp on the Butler trade forever, but man, like you see what these other guys get traded for four picks and four swaps for James Harden or whatever it was. The Bulls got no picks in one swap for Jimmy Butler. Just a fucking terrible trade. And if you're going to trade Zach, you literally need significantly more for Zach than you gave than you got for Butler. And Butler's way better than Zach. So uh, I'm getting off topic a little bit here, but I, <laughs> I definitely agree that Thad and Otto specifically trade him. Absolutely trade him because – you know, Marcus Morris fetched a first-round pick. Covington fetched two first-round picks. I fully agree with Doug that it's unreasonable to expect more than a single first-round pick. But if you could get that, that would be cool. They got one for Nikola Miritich back in the day. Yes, it only netted them Ch- Chandler Hutchison. But, you know, if you get the 24th pick for either of those guys, that would be a slam-dunk trade. Definitely do it. And here's the other thing. As soon as you trade those guys, this team is going to be terrible. They're going to be garbage <laughs> because they're not going to have the bench to come in and save them. You're going to immediately uh, improve the value of your own pick. And something about Wendell's injury today just has me back down in the dumps. Are you, are you in tank mode now? <laughs> I'm not saying I'm in tank mode, but, you know, Doug said trade everyone. Like, how is that unreasonable? Like, to me, that is just fully reasonable. What the Bulls have has no upside. It has no ceiling. So, like, if you had someone like John Morant or you had, like, you know, some of the pieces the Grizzlies have, you could say, all right, like, we can give it time. We can be more patient. These guys have a ceiling that they can eventually ascend to. The group the Bulls have just don't have that ceiling. And so I think, you know, everyone should be on the table. I think that it would be beneficial for the Bulls to trade one of these young guys, whether it's Kobe or Wendell, like, someone who might have more value league-wide and then I think Thad Nato for sure, you know, they got to go just to improve your own pick. And they've been awesome. I've enjoyed watching them on the team. I still think the Bulls have some winnable games on the schedule. If you look at, uh, you know, the next 10 games on the schedule, I think that, you know, even though they won't have Wendell, they should be able to compete a little bit with some of the teams in front of them. But yeah, it's like, what, what are we really doing here? They're not really building towards much, but it is a cool point to be a fan, I think, because even though Karnaschovas hasn't done shit yet, and we don't want to heap any praise on him. I, I feel much better about Karnaschovas running the organization than I did Garpax. Garpax was just like, definitely they're going to fuck it up and you know harm the franchise long term. 
I think Karnaschovas could still be good for sure. I'm not like writing him off at all. He is very patient. Uh, could be a positive, could be a negative. We'll see. Uh, but you know what Karnaschovas has in front of him is pretty interesting because he could totally burn it all down, and that would involve like not keeping Zach. I think even with Zach, they've been one of the worst teams in the league the last couple of years. So it's not unreasonable to think the same thing could still happen, uh, even if they do end up locking up Zach to a third contract. But uh, they have a lot of options right now, and it's going to be a really interesting place to see like where the franchise goes from here because there's lots of different avenues they could take. Uh, and just thank God they have a different decision maker, even if we're not totally sure he's any good yet. At the risk of making all of your you know subscribers unsubscribe immediately and never subscribe to anything I do, I want to bring back one point you said about the Jimmy Butler trade because I love living in the past and just because I find it interesting. <laughs> And the thing you, you noted, like, you know, the Bulls need to get a better return for Butler and the return for all these other guys was so much higher. And I just think it's really fascinating from a global NBA trend, how when Anthony Davis went to the Lakers for this huge amount of picks and swaps and everything else, and then you had uh, Paul George go to the Clippers for something similar, all of a sudden that just became the bar and everyone held out. Like, like the Bulls just missed that by two years. Like, Two years earlier, no one went for that. You look like every superstar trade, like the talk in the NBA was always superstars go for 10 cents on the dollar. You always lose a trade when you trade a superstar. And now all of a sudden, like superstars are going for like a dollar on a dollar. Like you're, you're going to have to give up tons and tons to get them. And not and, even superstars, yeah, true holiday. Yeah, true holiday. <laughs> and with the funny thing with Butler is like, so however badly you feel about the Bulls package for him, he got traded twice more after he left the Bulls for even less both times. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not like he got traded by the Timberwolves for like way more. So he got traded three times. The Bulls got the most of those three things. And part of that was the amount of length of time on the deal, you know, made him more valuable when the Bulls traded him. So it wasn't like the Bulls are super mad geniuses, obviously. But it, it is just interesting and fascinating to me how like all of a sudden now it's like, oh, you got a star? Yeah, you 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 get like three first round picks and two swaps and you know the naming rights of my unborn child. I mean, it's just it's like bizarre like how that has shifted in the NBA landscape over the last five years. And I agree with you. Now it's like if you trade Zach, you you should start expecting someone to give you lots and lots of picks. I just don't know that there's any team left. Right. that wants to yeah. win, that's going to give you that type of picks. Like all the contenders are like all out. Like there's teams like you would love to have Zach Levine on them, I think, but they just, they're out. They don't, they don't have anything. They already gave up their five swaps and everything else for the other guy. Yeah. I mean, the Sixers, the team I keep coming back to, I, I'd have to look up there. They can't. They're, they got they nothing. Okay. No, they get, they traded. I think it's like in the Al Horford trade, they lost a pick and that like oh, yeah, knocks right. out like three of their years. And so they're, they're out like it's, and that's, that's the thing, like looking around the, the league, it's like, there's just, there's not many guys, but the seven, eight sixers would be an amazing fit. If, if you could somehow yeah. make, make it work. Like I agree, but right. they, they can't make it work. And that is a good point too, about just sort of how the league trends changed in terms of uh, the packages now becoming the norm um, with picks and swaps. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. Um, I, th- I think we should probably wrap it up here. We're going out about an hour. Um, Doug, thank you so much for joining us. Let our listeners know where they could find uh, your stuff these days. Well, now I'm with you guys. I'm over on Bloggable, uh, trying to trying to put out an article, uh, maybe twice a week, once or twice a week if I can. And then I do the Bulls Beat and the Big Red Bus Show. If you want unbridled positivity or you just want to <laughs> laugh at someone that's uh, quite a character, you can join me and Fred on that one. And uh, Doug underscore Tonus on Twitter. Uh, yeah, that's uh, probably about it. Awesome. Thanks again so much for joining us. Uh, as we mentioned earlier in the pod, the Bulls 
Wednesday game was postponed. It was supposed to be against the Grizzlies and John Morant. Unfortunate postponement because of Grizzlies COVID issues. That would have been a fun matchup. Obviously, John Morant, one of the best young players in the league. The Grizzlies have actually been pretty good after a slow start, and they were missing John for a while. So that's a bummer that we're going to have that game postponed. So the Bulls are not back in action until Saturday against the Blazers. Uh, the Bulls beat the Blazers earlier this year, and the Blazers are beat up. So, I mean, so Ricky talked about winnable games. I mean, that's a winnable game. Then we got a couple games against the against the Knicks next week, and then the Magic after that. So there are some winnable games on the schedule, even with Carter out. The Bulls have played decent against some of these teams. Uh, I know it was the, it was pretty ugly the last couple nights against legitimate contenders, but I mean they got some games coming up they can win. So it will be interesting to see how they perform against these kind of more mediocre teams, beat up teams, stuff like that. So we will see about that. Uh, but that's going to do it here for us, Cash Considerations. Thanks again for Doug Tonus for joining us. Uh, we're as always we're brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. So shout out to Blue Wire Pods. Go check out all the other great podcasts all across the network. We have so many great NBA, we have NFL pods. We so we got the Super Bowl coming up in a couple weeks with uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And we have a bunch of other great pods across the network as well for us here at Cash. Uh, please rate and review us wherever you listen to those pods. Give us five-star ratings. Give us anything worse if you think we could do better. Let us know how we're doing. You know where to find us on Twitter. I'm at Bulls underscore J. Ricky's at SBN underscore Ricky. Uh, so we will talk to you guys next time, guys, next week. And thanks again for Doug joining us. Take it easy. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.